And it is the queen, Lady AC, right here for another wonderful episode of Universal. If you don't know, we officially made it to hump day. Because once we get over this hump, we get right back to the weekend. But for right now, we're going to enjoy this moment. Or at least you're going to enjoy it with me. <laughs> like always, like I always say. So, very monumental event is going on right now because it is officially a new month. It is August, the first to be exact. So what's a better way to wake up this morning than to hear me on the first day of the month, right? Not only is it the first day of the month, but it's also being August. It is Black August, so happy Black August to everybody. That significance. <laughs> if you're aware of that culture, you know. It's all right if you're not. That's why this information's here, okay? Go ahead, research it, Google it, Black August. <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, like I said, I hope everybody had a great week and a great weekend so far. Because I know I did. Although we are in this retrograde, boy. I don't know about this one. But it came in hard. <laughs> but it's okay, because we're still going to be all right. We're still going to be uplifted. We're going to keep our energies right. We're going to be mindful of our energies and keep going. Be mindful of our moods, our emotions, all those good things. And still keep it pushing. But in the meantime, for today's show, we're going to talk about um, actually a very important figure of the movement. Of the movement. Because, you know, when we think about the movement, especially in this talk of activism, um, of rising up, of protesting, and all those different kind of things, it's always good to reference those in history who have made their marks or who have always pushed to educate, pushed to break boundaries, pushed to do all these things. And it's always tragic when we lose them. And unfortunately, yesterday, another library has has burned down, unfortunately. Yes, because as they say, as the African proverb says, when an elder dies, a library burns down. Because all that knowledge, all that wisdom that they have is no longer here, unfortunately. But luckily, due to social media, <laughs> we're still to keep them alive and well. But that who I am talking about is Mr. Ron Dellum. Passed away yesterday at the age of 80, 82. Um, unfortunately, from cancer. Um, at his home, his D.C. home um, in Washington. But um, while on this earth, while amongst us, he was a very, very, very influential man, um, known for his activism, known for um, being the first black congressman, um, being the mayor of, and then um, Oakland, California, Berkeley, covered that whole area. Um, also becoming an educator at the end of his day, teaching at Howard University and also at um, various schools in California. But he always pushed the mission of, and he also was a veteran as well, um, serving in the Marines. So all the multifacets or the different parts of the culture, he had definitely had a perspective on. So today on Universal, we're going to celebrate his life. Yes, once again, I said celebrate his life. And so you're going to hear different various speeches, um, various um, inputs from him throughout the show. So I hope you guys enjoy because once again, like I said, the activist in me 
you know, we have to give light to all these people, give their flowers while they're living. And even after they pass, I think it's always good to still continue to keep their names uplifted, especially in this Black August. So, but in the meantime, I have this good music coming up for you, and I'll come back for you with some more about Mr. Ron Dellum once again. Ashe.
Hey, yes, and we are back. Um, if you're listening to me on the Anchor app, well, first of all, if you listen to me, period, thank you. I do appreciate it. Um, what you just heard was Hiatus Coyote featuring Q-Tip with Nakamura. And if you're listening to me on the Anchor app, uh, what you heard before that was Jay Dilla featuring Dwelle with Don Peace, the remix, and La Bray by Alex Isley. Just in case you didn't know, you were listening to the Queen, Lady AC. And so in this August, um, if you're just tuning in, once again, first of all, I am going to welcome you because it, you can never overwelcome somebody, especially if they're taking their time out to really listen to you and really appreciate you. And of course, I always give that love back, especially if I receive it. Um, so you can never say thank you enough or welcome enough. But... Um, so like I said, welcome to my show. And um, on today's show, like I said, um, another library if you, uh, another library has burned down. Once again, the proverb says, when the elder dies, a library burns to the ground. And that is cute, true in this case uh, with the death of passing just yesterday um, of Mr. Ron Dellums. If anybody doesn't know who Ron, Dr. Uh, Mr. Ron Dellums was he was a very active very political figure um really wide known for his activism uh within his hometown of Oakland uh the Berkeley area in California um there where he grew up as well as ended up becoming a Marine joining the Marine Corps um later from that he transitioned to college and ended up becoming um mayor of Oakland and eventually become a congressman, the first African-American con- congressman to be elected, um, coming from the California area, representative for California, excuse me, but, and so uh, within that time, he was really known as being very radical, very liberal, um, he created a lot of, pushed for a lot of different various issues, matter of fact, I'm going to let the recording speak a little bit more about his activism. That. It's just extraordinary leadership. From the time when I first heard him when he was on the Berkeley City Council in 1967, and his ability to articulate what was really making us angry and concerned, worried all at the same time, he was able to channel and say, let's come together and work together to find solutions. Anti-war movement, and then he got very immersed in anti-apartheid activity in South Africa, where he made his mark there. He was a leader in introducing bills in Congress every year and fighting, and those words that he projected and became known all over the world. And at the same time, he was also looking after his district. This area during Ron's tenure has been a leader in so many different areas trying to help people, trying to do things about housing, trying to do things for health care and provide opportunities for people for things that Ron stood for. Ron always taught us as his staff that when we make decisions, just ask one question, and that question is, is this the right thing to do? And he said, if you answer that question, yes, then you move forward and, and implement whatever decisions you made. If it's no, then you don't. 
When you look at uh, many of the things that Ron continues to do since he left Congress, just look at his whole effort on HIV and AIDS. We worked on legislation which ultimately ended up as the Global uh, AIDS and Tuberculosis Relief Act of 2000. But Ron was the force that pushed both Democrats and Republicans to embrace a global strategy as it relates to HIV and AIDS. I'm speaking loudly because as I've said in many forums, you cannot whisper about human life and this incredible level of human misery. We have to talk loudly about it. We have to hear each other. We have to burden each other with the knowledge so that no one has the excuse of saying, I didn't know. I'm not an expert in AIDS. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a political activist, retired member of Congress, citizen of the Bay Area, citizen of California, citizen of the United States, and citizen of the world. We have to assume responsibility for each other. Working on all of the issues that he works on, he still has that deep sense of passion, concern, and vision. And he is as brilliant of a leader and an elder statesman now as one could find anywhere in the world. What he's talking about is really basically social justice. That people who are disabled, people who are gay, people who are children, people who are elderly should have equal voice. Still a lot of problems, but we've come a long way. And much of this miracle is due to leaders like Rock Dillums. Yes, yes, and that was a tribute right there to Mr. Ron Dellums. As you see, he's very political and a lot of issues, not just going on in just his area of Oakland, but he's also very involved in global issues. And, you know, he's very big in apartheid, um, the initiative there. As you see, and what I actually learned um, was his big involvement with AIDS and HIV, that preventive thing, and also was one of the political figures that push for more health care and uh, led to this initiative that went worldwide. He was just one because, of course, a lot of people were involved in that, excluding the um, LGBT community of color at that time, definitely were a part of that. But he was also one of the political, excuse me, political figures that, you know, really supported that and really pushed for that. And, of course, you heard his own words that although it didn't affect him directly, he was a part of this race, this human race. He was a citizen of not only here, but of the world. So it was his duty to do that. And so that's why I loved um, learning more about myself, about him, you know. So once again, like I said, it's definitely an honor to at least have this information out here on him. It definitely is a sadness and a loss, but of course we celebrate the life of people who use their lives to make a difference. And that was definitely Mr. Ron Dello. Um, but one of the things that really caught me about him that I loved is that his background, his family really shaped him for who he was and really, really, really like kind of shaped his mindset or just the 
just the simple psychology that he grew up with and the mental mindset that he was given, it all was shaped by the people in his life who's his foundation, his grandmother, his mother, his father. And he carried that on into, you know, his adulthood and his childhood. And he, he would often reference that a lot. Um, and that's what I loved a lot about him because they taught him very valuable lessons. And, you know, I have just so happened to find one that I re that really spoke to me a lot. And this was his mother's first introduction to him about self-hate. So I'm going to let you hear that one, too. All right. Because we all, you know, with, especially in this climate, especially everything that's going on now, you know, we're seeing a lot of, lot of acts of hate being on tape. <laughs> and I want to put emphasis on being on tape because, being on tape, because the way the media, the way this country kind of spins it and the way kind of society kind of spins it, almost like there's this influx of racial tension and stuff happening when the, th the reality is it's always been here. It's just now being filmed more. It's now being pushed out there more. It's now that more people are standing up against it now that it's causing the, for people to see almost every other day it's like some issue is happening. But it's always there. It's always been here. But another level to that is the self-hate that we learn from these people giving off. That's the first lesson. And can you imagine your first lesson of learning about self-hate? What that was? But here is Ron Dellum's first encounter about that. All right. Let me tell you a story about my mom that I think will essentially say, give you a very strong sense of her contribution to my life. I remember uh, I started off uh, in parochial school. I went to St. Patrick's Elementary School, Catholic school, although I was not a Catholic. Um, my mother went to elementary school here in Oakland, but she didn't want me to go to public school. She wanted me to get a better educational start, so I went to St. Patrick's. And then uh, in the eighth grade, I transferred to a public school across town. In fact, we used my uncle C.L. Dellum's address to go across town to school because it was a middle-class school. They thought I could get a better education there since I was no longer in Catholic school. And at the time, there were 11 blacks in the entire school, two males, nine girls. And um, I was taking a study hall because then if you took college prep courses, which I was taking, if you took at least four college prep courses, you had to take a study hall. Well, one day I'm in study hall and I'm the only African-American in, in the class and kids call it dissing each other now. Back then, you know, we called it, we called it cutting each other along, same point. Um, and we started back and forth. I don't even know what started us talking because our teacher was out of the classroom. So when nobody's in the classroom, we didn't study very much. So we started back and forth with each other. But I had a decided advantage because I came from the hood. <laughs> and I was well-trained in rapping, you know. And a big part of the psychology is to get the audience on your side laughing at the person you're attacking. And this young kid in his frustration jumped up and he said, you dirty black African. And as fast as he got the can and African out, I was on my feet swinging at him. 
And as fast as the fight started, it ended when the teacher came in the classroom. I couldn't wait to get home to tell my mother that I had had a racial confrontation and that I had prevailed. I stood up for the race. So my mother gets home and I tell her and she said, wait a minute, let me put my coat down. And she walked me back into the living room and sat down. She said, now tell me again why you fought this kid. And I said, I told you, Mom, you called me a dirty black African and I beat him up. And she said, look, I'm your mother. I work every day. You're my son. You go to school. So the decision you make to fight or not fight has to be your own decision. But since you brought it home, let me tell you what I think about that. She said, if you had to fight, you should have fought only because he called you dirty, if that was enough to make you angry. Not because he called you black, because you're a member of the black race. Said, not because he called you an African, because you are a descendant of Africa. I'm totally bewildered because that was not the response that I was anticipating. I'm thinking she's saying, you stood up for the race, you want lemon pie, you know, <laughs> peach cobbler, oh, you know, she whatever. And she said, look, you may not understand this until much later, but I want you to remember this conversation. She said, wherever you go in life, if anybody calls you black African, you smile and say yes and be very proud of it. She said, when you threw your fist into that boy's face, you were not lashing out at him. You were throwing a brick at a mirror. Now, this is a woman with only a high school education who went back. And I didn't quite understand. And she said, what I'm saying to you is that you fought him because he called you black and because he called you African. And I didn't quite understand that. She said, self-hate. And that's the first time I'd ever heard that concept. See? Powerful. Right there. And see, stories like that stuck with him, that letter-led shaped the way he carried his life, the way he educated, the way he went about his activism. But one thing I will say, I can tell you, he's definitely engaging, and definitely the stories, you can see just the, how heavy the influence of his family weighed. So yes, once again, Rest in power, Mr. Rondellums. Rest in power, Ashe, to you. But all right, y'all. Gonna take a quick break and then I'll come right back to you. With some more good music and of course with more with about Mr. Rondellum. Well, more of his words. <laughs> and just to let you know, I am on all social medias at Queen Lady AC. All one word, Queen Lady AC, all right? And I do have a Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Lady AC or simply search facebook.com Queen Lady AC. And we're back. That was Jay Dinner with Boomerang. If you're listening to me on the Anchor app, and of course, just in general, thank you guys for tuning in. I can never say thank you enough, but. Um, definitely appreciate it because you are tuned in to universal right here only here with the queen lady ac uh and so we're gonna dive right back in uh continuing our conversation about mr ron 
Dellums. Uh, full name is Ronald V. Dellums. You know, he was uh, passed away, unfortunately, um, in his home, D.C. home at the age of 82. Um, he was well known for his activism as well as being the first African-American congressman to represent excuse me, to represent uh, California, as well as being the mayor of Oakland, of Berkeley, the Berkeley area of California, um, as well as being an educator and a veteran. So once again, great loss to the movement, great loss to just politics and just overall. Um, just, you know, once again, love out to his family, you know, because they lost a member of their family. So we have to respect that as such. Um, but once again, going back to the conversation um, of Ron Dellis, because he really did talk about a lot about how his family kind of shaped him into who he was. That kind of created the foundation that he later, that you will see is prevalent within his activism, within the way he carried politics. So here's an example of that. my mother reinforced my humanity, my sense of myself, her own sense of pride, uh, and her desire to see me fully educated. My father, uh, a person with a photographic memory, loved to debate, loved to challenge, uh, loved to challenge the order of things. When I talked to him about what I learned in school, you know, he would say, never accept at face value, always be willing to question, be open to ideas, search, probe, don't just be a robot. And so both of them together, I think, uh, very much interested in the pursuit of educational excellence. And on the other hand, very proud people, race-conscious people who uh, allowed me to develop a sense of myself as a proud human being. They told me early on in my life that being black and being African was a good thing, so I was not burdened by that. I've never seen myself, you know, as a victim. I saw myself as fighting people who attempted to challenge me as a victim. So that gave me a very strong sense of myself. And at the center of it, education and learning and evolving are very important factors. Now, now how did these... Uh... Uh, influence the, these these influences affect you growing up in Oakland when you did well you know it was fascinating because many of my friends internalized the same notions about my parents that I did so whenever many of my friends were about to go off into adventures sometimes on the edge uh, um, they would send me home go home, man, you know, they would call me Sundown Ronnie because my <laughs> my friends knew that my parents, you know, when sundown came, I had to be home, I had to be there for meals, I had to be there to do my homework. And so in one sense, many of my friends saw me as a special person living with a special group of people who wanted very much to see me pursue my education. And uh, and I think in many ways were very protective of me. You know, you're, you're one of the guys who are going to make it out of here. And that was significant in reinforcing who I was. Um, I was born in 1935. West Oakland, early on, was a ethnic community. Uh, there were many white ethnics who lived in West Oakland as a working class community. When World War II began, 
West Oakland became the major port of entry for black people coming in from the South who came in to take advantage of the economic expansion and opportunities of the, of the uh, war economy, as it were. Um, as a result of that, uh, suddenly West Oakland overnight becomes a small southern town. And here's this kid who was going to St. Patrick's Catholic School, who spoke a little differently, who talked about different things. And many of these older persons from the South who had very little or any education were fascinated by this young guy. You know, where did you learn these things? Or sometimes when I'd go to visit my friends and we'd go to leave and the old folks would say, no, sit a while, because I want to hear what this kid has to say. Then I would hear people saying, you know, that kid sure can't talk. He's going to be a preacher or a lawyer someday. Well, as a kid, those are reinforcing and very positive reinforcements, and I think that had some significant import in, in, in shaping my life. I, I certainly wasn't a perfect guy. I dropped the ball many times along the way. And, and your uncle was also an influence. Can you tell us a little about him? He was... Uh... C.L. Dellums, as, as, as you know, uh, joined with A. Philip Randolph. These were guys who came out of the 20s. These were the old left-wing guys in the 20s. And they came together and organized the first African-American trade union in the history of America, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. And these were guys who placed a great premium on the spoken word as a way of organizing, to be impressive when they challenged people. You know, they thought A. Philip Randolph and C.L. Dellums and these guys were Harvard graduates uh, because they, uh, they developed an affect that, that challenged the system to deal with them intellectually, you know, at an eyeball-to-eyeball level. Well, here's this, my uncle, here's this beautiful erudite, incredibly well-groomed, impeccable person with extraordinary articulation who on 7th Street had an office over the pool hall. So in my life with this magnificent success model. And wherever I went, people would, when they'd hear my last name, they'd say, is C.L. Dellums your father? And I would say, no, my father is Bernie Dellums, but C.L. Dellums is my uncle. But I immediately began to realize that C.L. was the man and, and that he commanded respect across the broad spectrum of people uh, in the Bay Area. So here, and going to his office, he had a staff person, he had an office, he smoked a pipe, he dressed eloquently, um, he was a fighter, he was strong, he was courageous. Uh, so this success model in my life was very important in shaping my life because here I knew that you could succeed, that you could be successful, you did not have to be intimidated, and that you could be respected by people uh, because he was... Uh, politics that community came through him, union activity, civil rights activity, etc. He's just this incredible, larger-than-life person who continued to push me to pursue my education. One, one of the other things that people noticed about you as a young person, and I'm quoting here from uh, your new book, uh, Lying Down with the Lions, uh, you, they, they said, now that boy understands what we were saying. You, you also learned to be a listener as a young person, didn't you? Sometimes it was overstatement. Sometimes I didn't understand, but I knew that I wouldn't understand if I didn't listen. So I did learn how to listen. I was around adults a great deal, and, um, and that became important, the ability to hear the other person, to listen to people, to try to fully understand what the other person is trying to say, both my mother and my father and my grandmother.
mother instilled that in me, listen to hear. And when they realized that I was listening and that at some point I could engage them seriously, said, this guy is understanding. So that, again, was a positive reinforcement. Uh, any books that you read as a young person or w later when you uh, uh, matured into adulthood that stand out now that, uh, uh, that affected you? There was, there was one book that stood out. You know, I read a lot of books along the way because, it, as I said, part of my upbringing, like when kids would go out for the summer, I couldn't go out to play until I had read a certain amount of books, you know, all the time. So that, that was a constant reinforcement, the reading and the use of the library. But um, as a young adult, having actually come out of the university, I had a master's degree, and I met this wonderful, wonderful... Um, African-American who was the first PhD that I met to know that he was a PhD. He handed me a book one day and he said, I want you to read this book. And the title of the book was The Shoes of the Fisherman. Very briefly, it's a story about um, a Catholic cardinal imprisoned in the Soviet Union, freed, goes back to the Vatican by a strange set of circumstances. He becomes the Pope, and it's a story of how this guy escapes the Vatican to go out and touch people and continue to feel life in a real way. And uh, he said, when you finish the book, come talk with me. Why do you think I gave you this book? I had no real idea. He said, because it's a story about the loneliness of leadership and the need to continue to fight isolation as a leader. And I see you as a young leader, and you need to prepare yourself for leadership. Overwhelming made me go back and read the book a second time with different eyes and a different view. Now you were power to Mr. Ron Dellums. We are back. You are listening to the Queen Lady AC right here on Universal as we continue to celebrate the life of Mr. Ron Dellums. So as you see how the plan was set as a child from his family members to after he got his education to running in many different figures from his uncle uh, to the meeting one of the most educated person in his life, the um, PhD wielder that he talked about who introduced them to certain books that showed them about leadership because he saw that within them to even his friends recognizing the leadership within them and I think what makes that powerful about that story well two things is that for one just how everybody and that support around them as a child growing up in the adolescence and everything not to say that he wasn't perfect or that he didn't make mistakes but just to show how that really, having that support system really helped build and reinforce who he was and how he was and who he was meant to be. Because that is one of the, I think, when it comes to leadership, we don't want to talk about how impactful other people are <laughs> to our leadership. How other people are to our leadership and to our path and to... <laughs> I acknowledge me because all these leaders start somewhere. All the people that we look at as great started somewhere. They got some kind of encouragement, some kind of 
push or understanding about themselves. Like it wasn't just all about or just all on them. And I think that part of the story needs to be taught, especially in this day and age when a lot of people are now starting to take on their role as activism or starting to see themselves as leaders or we're trying to teach people how to become leaders and how to be on their own or just individually as we try to, you know, navigate this journey that we all call life, how to take control, be leaders of that. It's important to understand that role. And the other thing that was very important about that story that I think I connected to was that the isolation that he talked about because that's also another thing that happens when it comes to leadership when you're doing the right thing when you step on that platform when you do put yourself out there that there is isolation because not everybody's going to agree with what the what you choose to do um even if it's the right thing (laughs) you know they that it can be very lonely it can be very daunting it can be very hurtful but what in mind you have to keep the thoughts in mind you have to keep is your purpose for doing it and a sense of purpose within yourself and I think that's the biggest lesson I learned from Ron Dellums and even Ron Dellums can admit that he learned that from a very early a very interesting inspiration and I found a a speech actually one of the last few speeches he did where he talks about that inspiration from Atlanta's own very Martin Luther King when he heard him speak a young black guy Ron Dellum standing way in the back of the several thousand people hanging on every word didn't realize at that moment that my life would be changed forever. And I would comment on four points that he made in that speech and speeches going forward, challenging uh, the war in Vietnam. First, he said, why did I stand up? His response was, I cannot segregate my moral concerns. That said to me that we must challenge all forms of injustice. Because Martin Luther King said we cannot segregate our moral concerns. Secondly, he said there are two kinds of leaders. One who waits until the consensus is formed and then runs swiftly to the front of the group and declare leadership. But then he said there's a second kind of leader who has the audacity and the courage to risk attempting to shape a new consensus. I interpreted that to mean we had carried the burden of racial, cultural, and economic oppression, but we did not have to carry the burden of ignorance. That we had the obligation, the right, and the responsibility to enter the arena and be educative, to educate our people, to help them to understand the interrelatedness, the interconnectedness, the relationships between and among all issues of oppression and injustice. One of his lessons of education was a statement that was so vivid so powerful. We are dropping bombs in North Vietnam that are exploding in the ghettos and the barrios of America. 
how incredibly poetic, how incredibly powerful the vision. He was saying to people, understand the relationship between the billions of dollars that are being spent to wage war and the inability to address the injustice that is taking place in the ghettos and the barrios of America. The, the issue of priorities. Very powerful. But to me, the most powerful statement that shaped my life forever was this comment. Peace is more than simply the absence of war. It is the presence of justice. interpreted that to mean, wow, the peace movement is the ultimate movement. Peace is the superior idea that the umbrella movement for, of all movements, the peace movement, because to come together under the banner of peace forces us to challenge all forms of injustice. I want you to consider this point. I don't make it in criticism, I make it simply as a matter that we must reflect upon. Because I've come to this moment many times. Suppose everyone, because I believe that the movement to end the war in Vietnam ultimately became the largest and most powerful movement in the country. But when the war in Vietnam ended, many of the people went home and left us to fight racism, poverty, hunger, disease, homelessness, helplessness. It went home. And my great lament in my life has been, what would have happened in this country and in this world if people had heard Martin Luther King and said, now that we've ended the war in Vietnam, let's get on with dealing with other forms of injustice. What would the world look like? Schroeder will recall, I tried to, on the floor of Congress, to tweak that comment just a little so my colleagues could understand it. I didn't mean it quite that way, I'm sorry about that. Peace is more than simply the absence of war, it is the absence of conditions that give rise to war. So that if we stay together, what would the international community look like? What would the world look like globally? What would America look like? Would we still be seeing the Baltimore's if we had challenged on these issues? But it's not too late. In my final remarks, I have one minute. I may go slightly a few seconds over, but young people have asked me what is the difference between your generation when you are age and our generation? I won't give you my total answer because I think it's a good question, but I'll deal with two. Martin Luther King told us to raise our voices in the name of peace and justice and equality and peace because it was the right thing, the moral thing, the ethical thing the principal thing to do. This generation must do it because it's now the only thing to do. 
It has now become the imperative. So what was principle for our generation now is the imperative for this generation. Because we know that the price of war is too high. We know that the price of neglect of the, of the issues that affect the human condition, we, we, we do it at our peril. So that we have a responsibility now to address the imperative. A second difference is Martin Luther King never told us we couldn't do it. He said, go out and change the world. Remember, he said, I may not be with you at the end, but I have reached the mountaintop. And I can tell you this, we will achieve. So we felt that we could change the world and we went out to change the world. But this generation is being told 24 hours a day, the system is broken, you can't fix it. The system is bought and paid for, you can't get it back. So how can people move to change the world when they are constantly being fed a diet of cynicism, of, of superficial political analysis rooted solely in partisan politics or, or the shaping of personalities as if this individual or that individual can change the world all by themselves without dealing with the substance of the problems of policies that have to be addressed, but we narrow it down to very parochial, shallow analysis. So what we have to say to this generation of young people out of a sense of urgency, out of a sense of the imperative, you now must emerge. I've been doing some lecturing at Howard University with young people, and I'll tell you what I found out. Last point. It's not that this generation does not get it. It's that they don't always hear it. But when they do hear it, they get it because they listen carefully. And if I had to bet my last dollar, I would bet it on this generation of young people because they're not carrying the same baggage we carry. And if they ever stand up, they will change America and change the world for their children and their children's children. And I think that is an amazing way to end this. Once again, that was the amazing words of Mr. Ron Dellums. Millennials, the generations under us, we got this. And we need the guidance of the generations before us to constantly be that reinforcement that we do got this. Because we do. And this may be very optimistic of me, but <laughs> I believe and I see this world will change. So, there's no one else to say than that. <laughs> Nothing else to say to that. So, once again, that is all for today on Universal. I will see you guys next week with a whole new episode, no new topic, music, all that and above. But hopefully everybody has a good weekend and a good week. Until I see you, man. Once again, rest in peace. Rest in power. Mr. Ron Dellums. <laughs>